0: Welcome to What's Working in Washington, I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, a top business reporter dishes on what DC is lacking these days.
1: I do think we are missing the types of companies that have the time to grow and become solid, independent companies that have that
0: lucrative exit. If you want to know what's going on with founders and funders in the D.C. region, our next guest is the man you need to know and read. Andy Medici is the money reporter at the Washington Business Journal and has his finger on the pulse of what makes our region's economy tick. You know, he's broken many of the stories that define how we see the region's progress and opportunities, and he's widely respected because Andy works hard to get to the bottom of stories and get the facts right, I can say, having been interviewed by him many times over the years. That is his hallmark and how he's known here in town. He's working very closely right now to understand the dynamics of a region's venture capital market because it's not quite as optimistic and great as many people say. And we're going to talk about that today. First, Andy, thanks for joining us.
1: Always a pleasure, Jonathan.
0: Well, venture capital is the hallmark of an emerging industry's health. How does venture capital here compare with the rest of the U.S.?
1: Well, Jonathan, as you're right, you know, we hear a lot about venture funding and big names, big companies, but we hear fewer in the D.C. area. See, D.C. is getting more venture funding in terms of absolute dollars, but it's falling behind in its share. You know, back in the AOL days in the dot-com era, the region was about 4% to 5% of the nationwide total, but now we're hanging out around 1.5%. So even though you're seeing an increase in dollars, we're falling behind in terms of our fair share. And that is a a trend that I found, and it is a little disturbing.
0: And I've been seeing similar things in, in my information I know you've been looking at this closely as you go off and talk with people about this. What are their explanations for why the region's fallen behind compared to other places in the country?
1: Well, there's a few, but ultimately it boils down to the types of companies that our region creates. We focus a lot on uh, services. We focus a lot on government contracting. And we focus a lot on companies that aren't as attractive to venture capitalists and they don't require the venture funding uh, needed. They don't grow as fast. So when you think about the D.C. area, you think about the big consulting firms, you think about small shops, you think about government contractors, but they're not attractive to venture capitalists who are looking for uh, big gains, who are looking for big scalability, who are looking for a place to put their dollars and see a good return.
0: Because this region doesn't produce these kind of product-oriented, rapidly growing companies, I assume that that also means that you're not seeing as many companies going public because the public market... And that's where big companies go to raise capital and to be able to grow larger. Do you see that too? Is our our initial public offering performance also down compared to other parts of the country?
1: Yes. Actually, there is a big downstream effect. When the money doesn't go in five, 10 years later, you don't see that come back out. So for IPOs, we've really only had one pure IPO, and that was Appian, which is a low-code software company out in Reston. But you you have areas like Chicago and Austin who have the same amount of venture funding, you know, and they have four or five IPOs. So it really is a mixture of the venture funding we're getting as a share, which is lower, and the types of companies we're producing. And it seems like we really are missing out on what people are calling the next IPO boom.
0: Interesting, because when I talk with people who are involved in mergers and acquisitions, say like Kevin DeSanto from Kipps DeSanto, you know, I understand that we're in the middle of a boom in, in merger and acquisition, but I think that what you're identifying is that there's really two types of entrepreneurship uh, in, in effect. There's sort of the venture capital model, product oriented, high growth technology in that way, which is very amenable to VC. And then there's government contract and delivering technology service where you can grow a large company, but that's gonna be a private equity sale or or so forth. So yeah,
1: every, th- right? Yeah, the picture is complex, but what happens, you know, when we talk about mergers and acquisitions, what we usually end up thinking about is companies from outside the region, let's say Oracle, uh, picking and choosing and sort of buying up companies in this region. What we don't have are our own companies who are doing the same. So you don't get that money that stays in the system and builds and builds and builds. What ends up happening is you have a lot of companies, a lot of people, a lot of talent. They end up leaving once these acquisitions are made. So there are a lot of uh, buy opportunities here. But ultimately, you want these big, successful IPO companies. They can form a lot of those downstream companies. Think about the number of people who left AOL and formed their own companies. It's literally staggering.
0: Yeah, because what you're getting at, and and I see this as well, and I've seen this many times, is that often, particularly in the government contracting sector, the companies are owned by a family, a couple of founders. And the business will sell for $100 million, but only a few people will see most of the benefits in that. The employees generally don't get equity participation or upside, whereas startups, the lifeblood of a startup is everybody gets options. So yeah, we had the whole phenomenon of AOL millionaires and and uh, and other companies. Do you think that's what's missing here?
1: I do think we are missing the types of companies that have the time to grow and become solid independent companies that have that lucrative exit. You know, we talk about Appian, and there were companies before, too, where you will have a few hundred employees have some access to the equity. Sure it's concentrated in the handful, but a lot of them will have some benefit. They will invest, they will start their own businesses, they will put that back into the ecosystem, and we are missing a bit of that here.
0: You're going out and you're talking with people all the time in the ecosystem, as am I. What are you hearing from people from the standpoint of, what are the solutions to this? Or do we just throw up our hands and say, you know what, we're just never gonna be amenable to venture capital model, and we should just worry about growing our GovCon businesses?
1: Well, I mean, we've been hearing a lot from people about what the region does and what we need to do to diversify away from government contracting, government services. Economist Stephen Fuller has talked a lot about trying to find the industries that are next to the ones that we do now, but are more lucrative, uh, pay higher dividends. You know, we add a lot of government jobs. And during the times when the government might be cut, or when people aren't as enthusiastic about government growth, that could be a drag on the economy. We add a lot of home healthcare jobs, but are we adding the types of jobs that will turn into high paying jobs later? And we really aren't doing as much about that as we could. So focusing on what we're doing, the industries, and focusing on the types of companies we want to create, which are companies that make things, make things that people want to buy, and they do it here.
0: So is this region waiting for Godot by waiting for VC
1: to turn up? I think it's interesting because VC's here, they take their money and they invest it where they want to. So. They're not coming here and deciding, oh, we don't have enough money to spend here. They're spending that money. It's just they're spending it elsewhere. So what we need to do is we need to make sure that the VCs that come here see a wealth of opportunity. And we want the founders here who start these companies and who struggle for so long, we want them to make sure that they have a fair shake. Does that mean every startup deserves some money? Of course not. But does that mean that the people who start companies here get a fair shake at building something bigger? I think that's definitely something we should look at.
0: Well, as always, Andy, it's great having your perspectives, and I'm sure we're going to have you on again in the fall. Meanwhile, that was Andy Medici from the Washington Business Journal. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And we want to say a special thank you to these show sponsors. What's Working in Washington wouldn't happen without the support of other organizations here in town who want to make a difference by highlighting how our region grows. Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, their business development team can help you find the best talent and ideal location and the latest in market and business intelligence. Your business starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. And TEDCO. TEDCO invests in early stage and life sciences companies. It produces resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. TEDCO's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.tedco.md. And Jones Lang LaSalle, they're a leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving the technology, government contract, and their professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, two-car living room, and the Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.